Well, Merry Christmas. It's a good time of year. Um, it's interesting, Christmas this year is a little different. Um, just yesterday I was getting my hair cut and I thought there's something ironic and metaphorically spot on perhaps to this whole scene where I'm sitting there and the whole salon's kind of quiet and people are wearing masks and it just feels awkward and strange and in the background is playing, have a holly jolly Christmas. <clears throat> that kind of sums the human experience up, doesn't it? Uh, well, Christmas reminds us about the most important things, the things that don't change, uh, that the Lord became flesh and dwelt among us, that He brought salvation to the world through His one perfect life. And today I want us to look at that life through the eyes of His earthly father, Joseph. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, the first book of the New Testament, the first chapter, Matthew chapter 1. I hope that today we can grow closer to Jesus by looking at the story of his life through Joseph's eyes, through Joseph's experience. There's been much emphasis on Mary in the past, a lot of it bad. We, of course, know how the Roman Catholic Church has lifted Mary up higher than a human. Uh, we know perhaps of other wayward movements that put too much emphasis on Mary and make her out to be some sort of uh, demigod of sorts. But we don't have a lot of emphasis on Joseph. In fact, I'm wondering right now if you could, in your mind's eye, think of your nativity scene at home. Do you even know what Joseph looks like? <laughs> you may not. In fact, I've heard of some people uh, who had nativity sets for years and didn't even realize Joseph was missing. Uh, perhaps they got it at a garage sale or something and we just don't pay attention to Joseph. And in fact, you may not know this, but in the gospel narratives, Joseph doesn't even have a speaking role. In God's grand design, and God's story of the gospels, he didn't give Joseph a speaking part. Isn't that something? Well, our goal here this morning isn't to glorify Joseph. We don't want to overcorrect, but we want to learn from Joseph. We want to learn about Joseph and learn through Joseph and his experience. We want to put ourselves in his sandals, so to speak, and uh, see things the way he saw them. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, again, we are thankful to you. You are the creator of all things. You're the giver of every good and perfect gift. And this week, as we will be exchanging gifts and as we will be experiencing this fleeting, temporary joy that we get from gift-giving, Cause us to reflect on your indescribable gift, salvation that you have delivered to us, a free gift by grace and not by works that no one may boast, that we would see the beauty and the splendor and just the, the amazing, astounding love of the gospel that we would cherish Jesus' work on our behalf in our hearts and that we would be changed by it, that this week we wouldn't just go through the motions of Christmas and do the things that we're expected to do, but that we would think diligently about these things 
and that we would honor You in our thinking and honor You with our speech as we interact with family members, with believers and with unbelievers, that we would represent You well as Your ambassadors, as lights in the world. Lord, I ask that this morning as we study Your Word, as we look into the life of Joseph and his perspective through the birth of Christ, I pray that You would cause us to grow in our knowledge and also cause us to grow in our Christ-likeness, that as we look at the newborn King, Jesus in a manger, as we see this scene, cause us to be more like Him, that we would be focused on living our lives for Your glory and Your honor. And Lord, though I am a sinner by nature and by choice, please don't allow me to get in the way of Your Word this morning, but have Your Word be so clear to Your people. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew 1, 1, just this opening verse. Matthew begins his gospel by writing, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. As we begin to think about Joseph, the first thing you need to know about Joseph and about why he was chosen for this role in God's story is because he was chosen in accordance with the prophecies about the coming Messiah, particularly the lineage of the coming Messiah. Matthew could have picked a lot of names to describe who the Messiah was the son of there in Matthew 1.1. He could have said, any of the names that are listed below, run your eyes over verses 2 uh, down through 16. See all those names? He could have picked any of those, yet he chose to say the Messiah was the son of David and the son of Abraham. Those two particular names are important in Jewish history and in church history. There were particular covenants made with Abraham and with David about the coming Messiah, covenants that would be fulfilled by the one who was to come Jesus Christ Himself. And Jesus was to be born, the Messiah was to be born with a legal right to fulfill these covenants. He was of the lineage and to be one who was able to be on the throne of David. And because Jesus was the son of Joseph and the son of Mary, He had both the physical and legal right to take the throne of David. It's amazing to think of God's sovereign preservation in all of that. All of the ways that David's line could have been broken leading up to Jesus, but God orchestrated it all together perfectly. There are so many ways that uh, people would stop having baby boys that would continue on a name or continue on a lineage. I think I've told you before that I was the last Howard in my Howard family tree, whatever branch we're on. I was the last male. And all the pressure was on me to pass on the name. Otherwise, it would have died right here. (laughs) And we had a couple of boys. And so I told Melissa, now we can have all the girls we want. And then we had a girl, and I said, we're done having girls. Uh, (laughs) But there are all sorts of reasons why a lineage would stop. Uh, Infertility um, being one of them, or or children dying um, in infancy. So many different reasons, but God sovereignly preserved a line from David to Jesus, the Messiah, because he was physically born of Mary and because he had the legal right as Joseph's firstborn, he had access 
to the throne of David. Very important, very important to know. And as you look at the lineage here, perhaps your Bible has it broken down into paragraphs. Mine has a paragraph for verses 2 to 6, and then again from 6 to 11, and so on. Um, These lineages are broken up into sets of 14. Um, If you look down, verses 16 and 17, it says, "'Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah.'" So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David, and legally the son of Joseph. Matthew's breaking down of the uh, lineage into sets of 14 isn't completely arbitrary either. Perhaps you're wondering, well, that's interesting. Why did he do that? And in case you're wondering, no other gospel writer did such a thing. And it seems to be the common consensus of most scholars that what Matthew had in mind was, in fact, that name David. Because you see, in Hebrew, Hebrew letters, Hebrew characters aren't just letters for writing words, but those Hebrew characters also correspond to numbers. And the name David is the number 14. It's likely, as Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, they knowing Hebrew very well, that he was emphasizing the point here that Jesus was the son of David. And of course, you saw there in verse 16 that Jacob fathered Joseph, and it doesn't say Joseph fathered Jesus. Jesus, of course, was born of a virgin. It says Joseph, instead, was the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born. Very particular wording. Good theology from Matthew, right? Uh, Jesus did not have an earthly father as we do. But let's talk about Joseph. Let's examine Joseph's life, and let's look at what we know about Joseph's story. We don't know a ton about Joseph's story, but we know some, and so it's good to examine these details. First, we know from Matthew 13.55, you don't have to turn there, but maybe you want to jot it down. Matthew 13.55, we know that Joseph was a carpenter by trade. Jesus was in Nazareth in Matthew 13, and some of his fellow hometown countrymen there looked at Jesus and said, is not this the carpenter's son? Jesus was the carpenter's son. Joseph was a carpenter, and he lived there in the town of Nazareth. And we know that Joseph eventually became engaged to a young woman named Mary. They were engaged before she was ever found with child. They were betrothed to one another. It's likely that she was a young teenager at this point. Uh, Mary, so young by today's standards, being assigned likely in this union to Joseph, who could have been in his 20s perhaps. And the two were planning to be married A betrothal in those days, an engagement, was treated like a marriage in many ways. It wasn't something that you could just start up and then break off. But if you wanted to break off a betrothal, you actually had to go through divorce proceedings. It was treated with that level of seriousness. Yet the engagement had not been consummated. That was saved until after the ceremony, the marriage ceremony. And it was the custom in Israel that as a couple was engaged, they would take a year to prepare. They would still be living with their parents, and they would be preparing for their new life with their spouse and getting all things in order. So knowing this little bit about Joseph, that he was a carpenter, he was from Nazareth, 
He was engaged. He was in that year-long waiting period. What do you think was going through Joseph's mind? What do you think Joseph was thinking about? I would imagine that Joseph just wanted to live a quiet life in Nazareth, where his, likely his dad and his dad's dad and so on had all lived. He wanted to be a carpenter. He wanted to work with his hands, and he wanted to just live as a quiet Jew there in the town of Nazareth. But like so many of the plans that we conceive in our own minds, God said, no. <laughs> he was chosen for a much more adventurous task, a much more exciting task. And he had to make many sacrifices, Joseph did. There are several places in the gospel accounts where we see Joseph, though he didn't speak, was having to make many sacrifices. Firstly, we have to understand that it was a trial, it was a struggle, and it was a sacrifice for Joseph to be engaged to Mary and Mary to become pregnant and not by Joseph. Look with me in Matthew chapter 1, down at verse 18. Matthew 1.18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When His mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So again, Put yourself in Joseph's position. His knowledge of the whole ordeal is unknown. We don't know specifically if Mary had tried to explain things to him. We don't know uh, if they had a lengthy conversation and he kind of believed her, kind of didn't believe her, totally didn't believe her. We don't know where he was in his thinking on that. We do know from the other gospel accounts that Mary was just with her cousin, Elizabeth, for three months. So she was out in Judah in the hill country with her cousin, and she comes back with a baby bump. So if you were Joseph, you tell me, what would you be thinking? <laughs> okay, Mary, yeah, you, uh, miraculous conception, huh? That's a convenient excuse. That's what I would be thinking. Well, he had some options. His first option in dealing with this issue was a public trial, a public trial. There were all kinds of laws in the Torah. We've gone through Deuteronomy in this church in recent history, so we've read through a lot of these. And they had laws about what you could do concerning a divorce when there had been a case of adultery. And this comes from Deuteronomy 22. You can jot this down too. Deuteronomy 22 gives Joseph a couple of options regarding the trial. It's starting in verse 23, it says, If there's a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. So that first scenario was with a woman who was engaged to a man, and she willingly engaged in an affair with another man, and they were both to die. Then in verse 25, it says, But if in the field the man finds the girl who is engaged, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in the girl worthy of death, for just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. Verse 27, When he found her in the field, the engaged girl cried out, 
but there was no one to save her. So a different scenario where the woman didn't willingly partake in this action, but instead was forced. And a trial had to take place to determine which of the two scenarios it was. So Joseph, as he sees Mary coming back from Judah, he's there in Nazareth working on whatever he's whittling out of wood, he now has this choice. Do I take her to trial so that we can sort this out and she could potentially be put to death because of her sin? That was one option. His second option was to send her away secretly. And we see here in verse 19, that was his plan, to send her away secretly. Separation was likely going to be the result from the trial, because as Mary would be put in front of a court and gave her case, it's likely that those who were sorting all the details out would say, hmm, the Holy Spirit came upon you, huh? Convenient excuse. Uh, Where's the man? Well, Mary had no man to point to. Mary wouldn't have been able to bring in a man into the trial. It was an unbelievable story. So she would have been separated from Joseph one way or the other, yet he planned to do it secretly. And the law allowed for this also. We're not going to look at this passage, but you can write down Numbers chapter 5. And that is a wild chapter. Numbers chapter 5. Read that one before you go to bed tonight. And then uh, email Tyler all of your questions. That would be great. Numbers 5, pretty wild, wild chapter. The law permitted for a private dealing, uh, a private handling of a situation like this with a priest, and Numbers 5 goes into those details. So that was Joseph's plan. His plan was to send her away secretly. And some people read this, look again at verse 19. Some people read this where it says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Some people will say, well, see, he, he was willing to break the law for love. He wanted to, to break the law. The law says that a woman who, who takes place in an affair or who takes part in an affair, she should be put to death. But Joseph, he loved her enough he was willing to break the law. Well, let's not think that <laughs> because Joseph was a righteous man, a just man, Scripture says. He cared about the law of God. He was faithful to Yahweh, his Lord and to the law that was given to him as a Jewish man. And the law had a provision for a secret or a private handling of such a matter. He was not willing to break the law for love. He was willing to uphold the law and to show grace to Mary who didn't uh, necessarily deserve such a private handling because the details were unknown to Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man and a gracious man. So a second option was to send her away secretly. Number one, public trial. Number two, secret sending away. Number three, his third option, and certainly his least desired option, was to stay with her and even marry her. Wow, what a challenge. Let's look down at verse 20, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. It says, when he had considered this, he was mulling his options as a faithful Jew, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, behold, the virgin shall be with child. And shall bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So there's Joseph mulling his options, thinking about what his own will might be for this. And an angel says, why don't you hear God's will on it? (laughs) Here's what God's will is for you. Don't be afraid, but instead take her as your wife. Mary, Mary. (laughs) Take her as your wife. Notice that the angel says in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, that's how he he, uh, speaks to him, reminding him that he is of David's line, reminding him perhaps of the covenants made with David, that the Messiah was to come. And he gives him a specific and explicit statement of Jesus' mission, verse uh, 21, that Jesus will save His people from their sins. Listen, son of David, Jesus is going to save His people from their sins. And Jesus, of course, is the Greek version of the name Joshua. It's the same name as Hebrew Joshua. The name means Yahweh saves. Jesus' very name was to declare the saving work and the saving power of God. And what a challenge this must have been for Joseph to hear these things, still not fully wrapping his mind around all the theological implications of this, what this would do for him personally, religiously, but just the fact that he was called by a messenger of God, by an angel of God, to take Mary as his wife the option that he probably wasn't even really considering. (laughs) What a challenge it is for a man to marry a pregnant woman. She's pregnant at the ceremony, and the baby isn't yours. There have certainly been lots of cases of weddings that were held while the bride was pregnant, but there have certainly been very few where that child wasn't the groom's. And that's what... Joseph was called to. It says Joseph was a righteous man. He obeyed, but his challenges were just beginning. His first sacrifice was really of his ego to marry this woman who was pregnant. A second sacrifice that we see is here in verses 24 and 25. Look with me. It says, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph wasn't just called to marry her, he was also called to keep her a virgin until the baby was born. They got married while she was pregnant. He was her husband when she gave birth to Jesus. And yet, they had no physical relations up to that point. And that's a sacrifice, isn't it? (laughs) It's something that perhaps is overlooked. Here's Joseph. He's been waiting to marry this woman, perhaps upwards of a year. He's been waiting. And she was to be a virgin, not just at conception, but to be a virgin at birth, at the delivery of Jesus. It's an amazing thought. And you might ask, why? Why? If they were married, if they were legally married, then why? Well, there are two reasons that I could come up with. First is here in verse 23, which we read a moment ago, the prophecy from Isaiah. That's Isaiah 7.14 that's being quoted there in verse 23. And notice in this prophecy, it says that the virgin will do two things. One, she will be with child, 
And secondly, will bear a son. You could also say thirdly, name him Emmanuel. She will be with child and bear a son. These are two different things. She will be found pregnant, and then she will bring forth a son. The virgin will bring forth a son. So the prophecy wasn't just about the conception. The prophecy was about the birth. And you might think, well, why? (laughs) What's the big deal? Well, there's quite a bit of integrity there. You can believe that the conception was a virgin conception if the birth, too, was a virgin birth. If Mary had waited all the way through the delivery of Jesus, there's no reason to doubt that the conception was also miraculous. If they had not waited, it would have been a lot easier for people to point the finger and say, Joseph is the actual father of Jesus. But they waited in accordance with prophecy, bringing more integrity to the birth of Christ. A third sacrifice that Joseph makes, we can see in Luke chapter 2, Turn with me a couple books forward to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is when Jesus was born. Again, look at this whole scenario through Joseph's eyes. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quincy, can we say Quincy, (laughs) was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. While they were there, and the days were completed for her to, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Wow. Mark was asking you ladies to think about this earlier. In a filthy stall, somewhere out in a barn. And Joseph, who was the head of his home, who was called with caring for this pregnant woman whose child isn't his, he was called to find her a place to give birth. And there was no room in the inn. Men, how would you feel if you were in that position? Wouldn't you feel like you were not doing your duty? that you were letting your wife down. But Joseph was fulfilling God's will for him. God knew exactly what he was doing as he was leading Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem and putting them in that situation. But again, Joseph's ego had to be sacrificed as he recognized the provision of God, the faithfulness of God, and the kindness of God that he would provide even a place such as this for the child to be born. It would be difficult as a man to watch your wife go through something like that. His next sacrifice was taking his family and going to Egypt. We're not going to turn there, but you can write down Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, specifically verses 13 to 15, where Herod, King Herod sent out a decree. He was looking to kill all the baby boys. He wanted 
Jesus dead. Herod put out a decree to slaughter the innocents. And so Joseph, again visited by an angel, was told to pick up his family and to head to Egypt. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Okay, you know, I guess I'll stop what I'm doing and off we go. And it wasn't like they went to Egypt for a couple of weeks and then everything calmed down and they came back. They were in Egypt for two or three years, stopping everything that they were doing. And who knows what they were doing in Egypt? We don't have any details of that. But when we get to heaven and we have all eternity to discuss all sorts of things, you can ask Joseph what it was like in Egypt. But of course, this was to fulfill another, another prophecy, prophecy from Hosea. Out of Egypt I have called my son, as they came back from Egypt into Israel. What a sacrifice for Joseph, again, as the caretaker of his family, the head of his home, leading them, providing for them, protecting them, taking them to a foreign country, and leading them through that really difficult situation for multiple years. And then Joseph also had the sacrifice, had the trial, had the struggle of fathering the Son of God. (laughs) That's no small thing, is it? He was in charge of bringing up a little boy who was perfect, of raising a child who, in fact, was his Lord. What a task that would be. If you're still here in Luke chapter 2 with me, look down at verse 41. Luke 2, starting at verse 41. Read, read this story, hear this story again from Joseph's perspective as the father as the one who was to take care of this child and Mary, his wife. It says in verse 41, Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. So you can stop right there and learn a little bit something about Joseph's parenting. Every Passover they went to Jerusalem. He was raising his child and other children, there were other children, to be faithful to Yahweh, to pay attention to Yahweh's commands and to recognize feasts that Yahweh had given them. He was a faithful parent. Look at verse 42, and when he, Jesus, became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 44, they supposed him to be in the caravan, and they went a day's journey, double uh uh-oh, And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they panicked. (laughs) They returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Now imagine this. You lost the Son of God. (laughs) Wow. Verse 46. Then after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Boy, have you lost your mind? No, she said, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. I bet that happened a lot. Verse 51. 
And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. Amazing thought. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Wow. What a challenge. What an absolute challenge. Here he is missing, and it wasn't a sin. He didn't sin in doing it. They find him there in the temple after they had gone a day's journey, came back, spent a day looking for him. It had been three days. And there he was. And they said, we have been anxiously looking for you. If you're Joseph, you feel the weight of that responsibility. It is on you to find this child. Three days they were dealing with this. And when confronted, Jesus replies with perfect truth, a perfect answer that he always gave. And they were astounded. And Mary treasured all these things in her heart. That perfect Jesus was perfectly in subjection to them. Amazing. We know from the gospel narrative that Jesus wasn't their only son. Uh, Some will teach the perpetual virginity of Mary, and that's not true. We saw earlier that Joseph waited until they were married to have relations with her. We see in the Gospels that they had other children. Uh, Again, in in Matthew 13, 55 that we looked at earlier, is this not the carpenter's son whose mother we know and whose brothers and sisters we know? Jesus had siblings, multiple siblings, and they were not perfect. Jesus was perfect. They were not perfect. What a challenge as a father to raise that group, to be the father, the earthly father of the Son of God. And sixth and finally, as we consider Joseph's sacrifices and trials, it seems incredibly likely that Joseph died before Jesus ever began his earthly ministry. His first miracle, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, John chapter 2, at the wedding at Cana. Joseph was nowhere to be found. Joseph's nowhere to be found in any of the miracles. In any of Jesus' conversations with Mary, Joseph isn't there. He's not spoken of. It's likely that he passed away and never once got to see a work from Jesus' earthly ministry. After all the things he went through, God called him home, and he didn't get to see with his own eyes the works that Jesus performed. And I think what's really interesting, too, is, of course, Jesus was the firstborn, Mary's firstborn son. And after Joseph died, it became Jesus' responsibility as the firstborn to care for his family. And so Jesus was a provider of his family, most likely, before he began that ministry, working miracles and teaching astounding things. The Lord really is our provider in every way. And he showed that to Mary and to his siblings in a special way. Because he was the son of a carpenter, we believe most likely Jesus himself was a carpenter. And for what it's worth, Justin Martyr, who lived, I think, in the 4th century, maybe 3rd century A.D., it was passed on through tradition that Jesus was a carpenter who made yokes, kind of like his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and perhaps he fitted those for oxen. We don't know if that's true. But it makes sense that he would be a carpenter like his earthly father, Joseph. Joseph had to take Mary while she was pregnant, keep her a virgin. He had to 
take her to a farm to give birth. He had to flee to Egypt and live there for a couple of years and then raise Jesus, the perfect Son of God, among His imperfect siblings and then died before seeing any of the miracles of Christ. Wow. But you should know that none of those things are the greatest thing that Joseph did. But the greatest thing that Joseph did was trust the Lord. The most remarkable thing that Joseph did was believe the Lord. Think of what Joseph did when the angel visited him. He didn't try to go back and forth and work out a compromise with the angel, did he? He didn't say, okay, I hear you, I hear you. Yeah, take Mary as my wife. But have you thought about my other options for that? Have you read Deuteronomy? You know, he, he could have done that, but he didn't. It says he awoke from his sleep and immediately did what the angel had because he believed the Lord. He was called to go through some incredibly difficult and complex circumstances, but he continued to follow the Lord through it. He was still taking his children to Jerusalem for Passover. He was still pointing his children to Yahweh, the covenant keeper, the faithful God, the God of love. He was a man of faith. And I have to believe that as Jesus grew up and as Joseph understood more and more about prophecy and understood more and more about Scripture and of God and of man, I have to believe that Joseph at some point trusted in Jesus as his personal Savior, the one he was raising, believing that he was truly the Savior of the world. We don't have the details of Joseph's testimony in the Gospels. That's definitely one I'm going to ask Joseph when we get to heaven, because I bet it's a doozy. <laughs> at what point did you look at maybe your teenage son and say, oh, oh, oh my, you're my Savior? <laughs> what an amazing thought that he would be brought to his knees before the child he was called to raise. Joseph physically kissed Jesus held Jesus, cared for Jesus as his son. It's likely that Mary and Joseph kissed his head as a little baby, kissed his feet as their Savior. They bowed low to him. And we are all called to kiss the feet of the Son of God. Psalm 2.12 says that we are to do homage to the Son, or that we are to kiss the Son. It says, do homage to the Son that He not become angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. It's, a, it's an incredible, mind-blowing, we, we can't even grasp all of it, this thought that they could hold God in their hands like we sang about in that song and, and kiss His forehead. But what's even more astounding is that any one of these fallen creatures, you and me included, would bow down and kiss the feet of the Son of God, that we would believe, that we'd be brought low, that we would humbly before Him worship at His feet because He has loved us so much. The eternal Son put on a human body to save His people from their sins. That's the story of Jesus. 
And if you haven't trusted in Him, would you trust in Him completely? Would you fully, wholly be given over to Him? Would you recognize that Jesus is not just some nice guy, some good guy, a decent teacher, a good story in a book, a really old book at that? Would you realize that Jesus is God Himself? That Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting the God who created all things, the God who holds all things together by the word of His power, and the God who loved us first by coming to this place, being found in our likeness, living a perfect life, and dying the death we deserved in our place for our sins. And being raised again on the third day, He walks in newness of life, that we too might have newness of life. If we lay down all of our works, all of our efforts, all of our smart ideas, and kiss His feet, as precious as they are, because He loved us enough to pay for our sins and to impart to us everlasting life. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that the best gift ever? Let's pray to that God who has given us that gift. Lord, again, we're thankful. We're thankful because of what You have done. Nothing that we have done, but completely and totally what You have done. You've rescued us from our sin. You've transferred us from the domain of darkness and brought us into Your marvelous light. You have stopped our mouths at any retort we might have because you have done it all. You lived and died in our behalf that we might be rescued from the punishment we deserve. You've granted us new life in Christ, and we thank you for it cause us to see it and understand it more and more this Christmas and in the weeks and months and years ahead, that we would be continually reminded of these things that don't change, namely, you and this salvation that you've given us. We thank you for the life of Joseph that gives us insight, that teaches us about God and man, and Lord, we ask that we would remember that He was a man of faith, that we too might look to Jesus, the Savior of the world, for the answers that, that we have, or the, for the, to the questions that we have in this life, that we'd remember our Savior in all that we do. Lord, give us grace today that we would continue to honor You in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.